0: Shortcast Club Hi, I'm Avi, founder of Shortcast Club. Each week, we highlight some of our favorite shortcasts. If you like variety, this is the podcast for you. We're entering the final week of summer before Labor Day, and many people are taking some time off preparing for a return to work or school. So let's start with a quick update from Liz Jane and her shortcast, Working Girl, about why so many people are taking a sick day this week. So apparently
1: today, August 24th, is the second most popular day that people call in sick. And the most popular day that people call in sick is the day after the Super Bowl, which is not really a surprise. August 24th seems really random to me, but then I realized that was pulling from American stats. And I realized that between July 4th and labor long weekend, you guys don't really get a break.
2: In Canada or in Ontario, where I live, we do
1: get a civic holiday, which is the first Monday of every August. But I was also reading comments and a lot of parents say that they get sick because their kids go back to school and just bring the germs home. If you called in sick today, let me know why.
0: Hopefully you take the time you need to recharge your batteries. Let's hear next from Tama Keeves in her shortcast, Rock Your Brilliance, about why now is the right time for what's next. I feel like this transition point between summer and fall is the right time to ask this question.
3: Here's how to be in the right timing. You are in the right timing. You're always in the right timing. You may not be in the right timing for what you think should be going on right now. But what I'd like you to really embody for a moment or really take in for a moment, what if the timing is perfect in my life right now? What if this is the perfect timing and I'm going to pay attention, what is it the perfect timing for? rather than me deciding what needs to get done and and this should be the timing, really focusing on what is this the right timing for right now? What is my soul saying? What is my spirit saying? Not my brain, not my head, not my force, not my push. What am I in the right timing for right now? and be with that, and sometimes that can be hard for us, but that's what we're learning. It's the perfect timing.
0: Third, let's hear from our friend, Dr. Wes Ely, in his shortcast, Dr. Wes Ely's Medical Updates. He's a professor at Vanderbilt, an ICU physician, a researcher, and founder and co-director of the Critical Illness, Brain Dysfunction, and Survivorship Center. He's gonna fill us in on what researchers know now about long COVID.
1: Hey friends, this is Dr. Wes Ely here. I wanna tell you about two new studies, landmark studies, which just came out in JAMA and in the journal Nature Medicine. They asked the question, how long do these symptoms of long COVID last? And what's the deal with ongoing likelihood of dying from COVID and hospitalization? So they took a veteran population, that is people who've served in the US military, they had about 340,000 people who had COVID and about 7 million controls. And the beauty of this, because it was March to December of 2020, is that they were able to censor people if they ever got COVID. So we really have a good comparison of long COVID from the disease and ongoing symptoms in people who never had the problem, the viral infection. What we learned is that death is about doubled out to a year. The excess death really though peaks around six months. So this disease, uh, does go on to cause excess death, but after six months, the death rates are even between those who had and didn't have COVID. Now, hospitalization rates are much higher in both groups. Uh, those who, excuse me, in, in the in the COVID patients who were never hospitalized, and in the COVID patients who were hospitalized, those who were hospitalized have a much higher likelihood of rehospitalization, and I think this is because they, in addition to having long COVID, also have what we call post-intensive care syndrome. Post-intensive care syndrome is a second form of disease you get with COVID if you're hospitalized, where you get acquired dementia, PTSD, depression, and neuromuscular problems. Now, what did we learn about the longevity of symptoms of long COVID? What we found in this circumstance, this is the first time that organ-specific data have ever been reported in long COVID, is that the symptoms that people are experiencing at six months in a year are still going on at two years in a third of those people. So one out of three people with long COVID still have this problem and disability out to two years. They actually calculated disability adjusted life years, which is a way of saying, how many years of your life have you lost due to the the cognitive and physical disability that occurs with long COVID? And what they found is that the amount of disability uh, years lost is worse than it is with heart disease and cancer. So long long COVID is a major problem for these people who are suffering, and please do not discount their disease. We, as a society, must support them, must find ways of giving them social support and medical support, and we need to find medical therapies for them. Remember, they are the experts of their illness, and your loved ones, yourself if you're suffering this, or your family members really have a very legitimate public health problem that about 5 million people in the US alone or more will still have it two years. And that means probably around 20, 25 million people globally, conservative estimates, will still be suffering two years out after COVID. Let's believe them. Let's pay attention to their suffering. Let's do the best we can since the the amount of time they're losing for quality life is greater And oftentimes, and these data show it, than those who have cancer or heart disease. I hope this is helpful. Thank you.
0: Next, Tyson Mutrox in Lawyer Tyson's Shortcast. He's an injury attorney in Missouri, and in this quick episode, he explains from a legal point of view, what are the four components that are required for a negligence case.
4: want to talk about the elements of a negligence case, but I want to zero in on two of those elements. And if you think about a basic car crash, premises case, dog bite, just any injury case, there's really four basic elements. You've got a duty. So a duty to do something or not do something, a breach of that duty, right? So let's just use a car crash. Car crash, you got a duty to be safe on the roadway. You've breached that duty by going too fast. You have injured someone and those damages were caused by that breach. So you've got duty, breach, causation, and damages. The injuries have to be caused by the breach. The two things I'm going to focus on here, because usually the other things are not necessarily in play. We're going to talk about the breach and then the damages. And usually people talk about the breach, the car crash. So you were driving too fast, you caused the car crash, you've got a breach. However, many people ignore the damages. Just because someone did something to you that you didn't like and that might've been a breach does not mean that you have a negligence case if you have no damages. For example. Let's use a car crash again. Someone is driving really, really fast. They force you off the roadway. You spin out on the grass, but nothing happens to your car. Nothing happens to you. You have no negligence case. That's the reality of it. They breached the duty. They had a duty to you. They breached it, but you had no damages. So you don't get to causation. You don't get to damages. You have no negligence case. You have to meet every single element to have a case. If you don't, you don't have a case. There is your quick lesson on negligence.
0: Marcel Eaton is an author, editor, and writing coach. In this episode from her short cast, she shares her advice on what to start with when writing a book.
5: I really want to write a book, but what should I start with? The tropes, the plot, the characters, the playlist. Fantastic question and I promise you if you start like this it'll make things so much easier later. Start with an idea statement. This is a one sentence description of what the book is about and it should include three things. Who the main character is, what their goal is, and what the stakes are. Doesn't matter if it's clunky or if you don't know your main character's name, it like truly doesn't matter at all. It's just for you. So for example if I was writing A Good Girl's Guide to Murder and I was writing the idea statement for it, it could go something like this. For her senior project high schooler reopens the cold case of a murder that happened in her hometown but when she begins unveiling the town's dark secrets she starts receiving death threats which lead her to question whether the truth is worth her life obviously there's gonna be more to the story but it's a great place to start and putting it in this format of a single sentence to two sentences makes it so much easier to pitch your book later because when people later on ask you oh what's the book about the one you're writing they're not expecting you to launch into this like multi-paragraph speech but a one to two sentence response will be like mm, that sounds good but worst case you can't figure out how to put it into a statement have them in bullet point form just make sure that you have those three things your character the goal and the stakes from there you can start developing the plot a little bit more which you can do with like what tropes am i going to use like what genre is, this? is it going to be in first person or third person is it going to be in single POV, multi POV, dual POV. I have a free guide on my website, which is on my bio, that has a complete guide of how to go from like, not even having an idea to a full self edited publishable manuscript. So make sure to check that out.
0: Next, Thomas Metzinger, a therapist in his Suggestible Minds Shortcast with an explanation of the Benjamin Franklin Effect, a disarming mind hack to get difficult people on your side. This could certainly be useful as we get back to the workplace.
6: Hey, man, here's your therapy for today. You are handling somebody who is difficult or challenging, and you want a way to kind of build some rapport. Try asking them to do a favor for you, even a small favor, like, could you grab me that pen over there? Or could you please pass the sugar? Or would you mind moving uh, so I can kind of get through um, Oftentimes, if somebody is doing a favor for someone, it's because they like them. And if you're dealing with a difficult person who is opinionated and um, may uh, you may have a conflict with that person, it creates this cognitive dissonance because you wouldn't do a favor for somebody that you don't like. So how could they disagree with you or how could they not like you or not see your point? And it's just a way to kind of hack your mind and their minds and build a sense of rapport and it can be very disarming. So try that. Would you mind grabbing me that uh, piece of paper uh, over there real quick? Thank you. Try it out. Uh, the Benjamin Franklin effect, if I didn't say before, that's what it's called. Uh, look it up and give it a shot. I'll see you soon.
0: Next, we hear from the always insightful Samantha Chung in her shortcast, Simplifying Sam, The Shortcast. In this episode, she breaks down how our thoughts create our reality and give some advice, i.e. don't allow external circumstances in the outer world to affect your sense of self-worth.
2: We only ever deal with one problem, and that problem is that we allow neutral circumstances in the outer reality to affect the way that we perceive our own self-worth. For example, you see a number on the bank account, and you make that mean you're either good enough or not good enough. You go out on a first date, and you either receive a text message about going on a second date, or you don't get a text about going on a second date, and you make that mean something also about your self-worth. You go to interview for a job that you're really interested in you either get the job or you don't get the job and you make either one of those two things mean something again about your self-worth the way to become extremely magnetic and unshakable and extremely powerful in creating any reality you desire is to allow literally nothing in the outer reality to shake your perceived sense of self-worth if nothing actually shook my perceived sense of self-worth my bank account numbers going up and down people saying they like me or don't like me opportunities coming into me or other people or vice versa it would literally prevent me from ever stopping in the face of resistance there would be no resistance the resistance is only ever me having a negative thought about me notice that resistance doesn't actually exist in nature it doesn't exist in reality it only exists inside of us and so whenever we are experiencing resistance it's not because there actually is resistance in the area of your relationships or your finances or your career it's that you have resistant thoughts about yourself with respect to those things. This is why my entire life's work and passion is all about mindset, because it's kind of the only thing you ever have to work on in order to create anything you want. If I can convince my clients to believe that nothing that ever happens changes their ability to create anything and nothing ever changes their actual internal self-worth, then nothing is out of reach. Why? Because you never stop taking action. If you never stop taking action and you have a clear goal and intention, it manifests. The only thing that delays anything manifesting is resistance, aka thoughts you have about yourself. And so if you did only one thing on your healing journey, your self-improvement journey, it would be to consistently, daily, hourly, by fucking minute if you can, practice thinking thoughts about yourself that are extremely encouraging, extremely empowering, and allow you to expand into possibility thinking, meaning that you are asking yourself in as many moments as you can possibly remember, what could be possible if I allowed myself to dream? I am asking you to allow yourself to use this imagination for something other than a worst case scenario. Because here's the thing, worst case scenario and best case scenario, they're both just thoughts. They're not actually things that exist in the reality. And if they're just thoughts and you can choose what thoughts you want to think, wouldn't you choose to think the best possible thought you could ever think? Wouldn't you choose to imagine the best possible thing happening to you? And if you're not already doing that, you really need to take a step back and wonder
5: why?
0: Shifting Gears, an episode of Don't Just Win, Dominate with Bill Harper, a marketing and branding leader. He shares a parable to explain the difference between conventional advertising and branding.
7: So the other day somebody asked me what the difference was between um, advertising and badvertising was how they put it. But what they really meant was what's the difference between regular marketing and branding? Uh, and the best way I know to describe that is actually a story about a tow truck. So here goes. So imagine... That you are on your way to something that's really important. Uh, it might be emceeing your parents' fiftieth wedding anniversary. It might be a hundred million dollar deal that you're going to take a fifteen percent commission. I don't care. The point is you've been working for it for a long time. It's super important to you, um, and you can't phone it in. It has to be you that's there. So it's the morning of the big day, and you're in your uh, you know you're in your finery, and you've got your notes, and you're ready to go. Um, and you get down in the car and you look at your watch and you're feeling pretty good. It's a 30 minute drive away and you've got an hour and a half to get there. So you've got some nice cushion to get ready when you're there. So you jump into the car, you open the garage door and you see that it's pouring rain. Uh, It's just awful out, Uh, hail, whatever. And as you pull onto the highway, the worst possible thing happens and you pop a flat. Now, normally you'd get out and change it yourself, but you know, you're know you on your way to this big important event and you're in this nice clothes and whatever, so you call for a tow truck. Now, it takes the tow truck driver 30 minutes to get there, effectively cutting your prep time in half, so now you're under pressure. And as you see the guy walk up to the to the car, he knocks on the glass and he says, hey, did you order a truck? He says, yeah, 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 I ordered a tow truck. He says, well, you made the right decision calling our towing company. See, our towing company has been in business longer than any other towing company in the industry. In fact, we've been awarded more than any other towing company that has ever been. Our people go through a more rigorous hiring and training process than anybody else in the business. Now, that truck back there, That's proprietary Uh, we worked with Kenilworth to get that truck made nobody else has it Uh, the tires that are on that truck now those are special tires that we worked with Michelin for five years on so that they don't slip on a day like this because your car is your second biggest investment and we want you to know how much we care about that now what are you thinking about the entire time this guy is talking shut up and fix my tire right like that's the thing that's that's most important to you now imagine the exact same scenario only this time the tow truck driver walks up and knocks on the glass and says did you order a truck and you say yeah yeah yeah." and he says sit tight our motto is on the road in 15 minutes or less we know you've got places to be now that night who are you going to tell your friends about and who are you going to avoid like the plague that's the difference between advertising and branding now that first tow truck driver that's about 90 percent of businesses in the world they spend all of their effort telling you about themselves The second tow truck driver, that's Apple and Nike and Disney and other groups that come at messaging from the point of view of the recipient. Everybody is the driver. It doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C, all of us are under that pressure trying to achieve something. The question is what kind of a tow truck are we? Hope that's helpful.
0: What kind of tow truck are we? At Shortcast Club, we give you binge worthy shortcasts for when you have a minute or an hour. Subscribe here or download our app so you don't miss any. Did that story about a flat tire stress you out? Next up, Tammy Amit in her shortcast, Therapy Beyond the Couch, gives a real, practical method for how to come down. It's a worthwhile tool for your mental toolkit.
8: If you're feeling a lot of intensity in your body, overwhelm or stress, I want you to bring your attention into your body and get really curious about where in your body right now you feel a tiny bit more relief, a tiny bit more space than in all the other areas. This could be in your shoulder, it could be in your, in your nose, it could be in your left toe. If you're saying, nowhere, nowhere it feels better, then I want you to imagine that it does. And if you imagine that it does, where would it be? So notice this place in your body. And then I want you to land your attention in that place. And from there, I want you to expand your attention. Notice how the area around it feels and the area around that. That's your way out.
0: To wrap it up today, an episode from Dr. Ben Crosby's shortcast, Trivium U, Timeless Training for Professional Communicators. He tells us what to do at the end of a job interview. What questions exactly should you ask to leave a good impression?
9: Congratulations, you landed the job interview and you're nailing the job interview. Your job's just about done, right? You can go home and wait for the offer? Wrong. At the end of that interview, the interviewer is going to turn the time over to you. They're going to hand the reins to you and they're going to say, What questions do you have for us? Are you prepared with questions? Here are the questions I recommend you ask. Number one, ask about professional development opportunities. Say something along the lines of, yes, actually I do have some questions. I'm someone who I I really like to expand my abilities. What opportunities for professional development do you offer someone in in this role that I'm trying to fill? Number two, ask them about how they measure success. Uh, What are the key indicators of performance for someone in my role? How will I know I'm succeeding? Number three, ask them about company culture. How would you define the company's culture? Do you have a culture? Is there a culture you're trying to cultivate here? And if so, how would you describe it? And number four, ask them a personal question, not too personal. Just ask, what are some of your favorite things about working here? You ask those questions, you're going to seem interested,
0: engaged, personable, and in control. And they're going to remember you. I hope you enjoyed this taste of some of my favorites from the week. If you did, please subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. We really appreciate your support as we grow our show. There are links for each of the creators you heard from today in the show notes. Please check it out. Also check out more great shows on our app, Shortcast Club, available on the iOS and Android app store. Thanks and happy listening.